I want to begin this morning with you. So good to be uh, together. But for this part of our worship, I want to begin uh, by reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, first uh, few verses. First few verses, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, where Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust and having itching ears, they will heat to themselves teachers after their own lust, and they will turn away from the truth, turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned unto fables. But as for you, Timothy, you be sober-minded, you endure suffering, you do the work of an evangelist, and you fulfill uh, your ministry. That'll be far enough for right now. We'll focus on these verses and also talk about getting our spiritual bearings. Our spiritual bearings. Did your grandfather ever talk that way? My, both my grandfathers talked about or used the word bearings a lot. You know, we lived just down the hill growing up. We lived just down the hill from my grandfather on my dad's side. Pop Barker. Pop Barker. And Pop worked in the coal mines. And when he got home, which was most of the time, right about the time I'd get home from school, then he had much work to do and I was anxious to help him. And many times when Pop got home, there was a big, long honeydew list to do, but there was also a big garden (laughs) to plow in. There was a yard to cut and there were many chores to do and most of the time when he got home he had not eaten so a lot of times as I would greet him he would sit me down on the doorstep next to him he would get out a cold biscuit and share it uh, with me and he said let's get our bearings together here and see what we need to do first the idea of getting your bearings is to see where you're at in relation to what's going on around you. To see where you're at in relation to what's going on around you and what you've got to get done. And so naturally there are spiritual bearings for us uh, to think about. For us to get our spiritual bearings, we've got to remember who we are. And 2 Timothy 4 helps us with this. 2 Timothy 4 helps us with this. First of all, Paul reminds us that we are godly people. We are godly people. We live in the presence of God. I charge you, he says in verse 1, I charge you in the sight of God. In the sight of God. This makes us godly. It ought to make us reverent, very respectful of God and His Word and all that He is about. We are, we are godly people. Okay. God and Jesus are constant witnesses to what we are doing. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord. Proverbs uh, 15 verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch upon the good and evil. That ought to create a godliness 
within us. Ought to create a serious-mindedness in us. Uh, we ought to, it ought to bring a sense of wonder to our to our hearts and lives to know that God is constantly close by. Job thirty-one verse four. Job asked the question: Is God not acquainted with all of my ways? Is He not watching all of my steps? Job is defending himself there. He's He's not claiming to be perfect, but in the midst of all these sufferings, he's telling his friends, I have been faithful to God. And he's in a sense, he's saying, you can ask God. God is acquainted with all of my ways. God is, is being mindful of all my steps that I'm taking. Okay. And how true that is. Godliness is very important because there is the possibility that our religion can become somewhat mundane. Uh, To quote a very famous TV character, Richie Cunningham from Happy Days, it can become humdrum. Humdrum. But it can happen. There is the play from Shakespeare, Hamlet. There's a scene in that play where uh, they bring up uh, a scene where there are these two grave diggers and uh, they are preparing grave for someone. And yet the comment is made, and I don't know if it was con- the comment was made within the writing itself or if there's somebody commenting on the play itself, but there was a comment made that I saw where the grave diggers are carrying on conversations that are very lighthearted. One is posing a riddle to the other, and the other one is trying to remember the riddle. Well, the comment is made that, look how much a solemn responsibility this is. Look at the, look at the task that is being done here. Okay. It's hard to imagine a more, a more uh, solemn, serious responsibility than helping a family bury their loved one. Okay. And yet, these two grave diggers had done it so often. It had become such a routine to them that they were discussing all sorts of things in the midst of the tasks that they were doing. And I suggest to you that the same thing can happen to our religion if we're not careful. We must remember that we are operating in the presence of God, the very presence of God. And if we don't remember that, it can become kind of a a light thing. In Matthew 22, Jesus gives the parable of a a great feast given given by by a king uh, for his son. He sends out servants uh, to come to this great feast. And verse 5 says that many who received the invitation to come looked at it as a light thing. They didn't pay attention to to the invitation. And in the older versions, a little bit more literal, it says they, they looked at it as a light thing, L-I-G-H-T, as, as, not, as something not all that significant. Jesus is telling the parable to, to get us to understand that God has made all this preparation of sending His Son into the world and preserving the Scriptures and, and bringing the teachings to us and showing His love to us. All things are ready come to the feast and yet many regard it as something, well, just mundane, just another thing, just, just another thing on somebody's list to do, to get done. And it's got to be so much more uh, 
than that, of course. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, the apostle mentions that some have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Their senses have become dull. That's what would be happening to the gravediggers is they've done it so often, their senses have become dulled as to the task that they are doing. And when we worship and we worship and we pray and we pray and we hear and we hear, sometimes our senses can become dull. We can become dull of hearing. Back in Lamentations chapter 1, 11 and 12, you remember the prophet Jeremiah is, is kind of giving uh, an essay there on, on the destruction of Jerusalem. Now it has taken place and... And all of this has taken place because of the sins of the people. And, and Jeremiah asks the question. He says, all of you who are walking by seeing all this destruction, is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you? Even after all this destruction, even after the promises of God have, have been fulfilled, he, he has sent Babylon in here and Babylon has destroyed us. And it's because of our own idolatry, our own sin. Is it nothing to you? It seems like the people still were not changing those who did not go into captivity and left back home, you know, it still did not seem to be having an impact upon them. Is it nothing to you, all you, all you who walk by? Well, we got to remember that we are godly people. <clears throat> godly people. And we live in the very presence of God. And we must remember this. Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. That is... The Lord is next door. I mean, He's next to us. He's close by. He's close by all the time. He's close by. Watch how you behave because He's close by. And so whether we're in a car, whether at home in front of a computer, or whether we are with friends, or whether we're on a sports field, or whatever it is that we're doing, whether we're at church or at work or at school, we've got to remember the presence of God. We are godly people Secondly, Paul also suggests that we are eternal people. That is, we are eternity-thinking people. Notice here in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I charge in the sight of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge, here we go, who will judge the living and the dead according to his appearing and his kingdom. Judgment day is coming. This is how we get our spiritual bearings, to remember that we will stand before God. We are eternal thinking people. Romans chapter 14, 10 through 12 makes this very clear. Paul says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. He goes on to say that we will, um, that all will confess with their tongues and that every knee will bow and that each one of us, not on a group plan, not on a group plan, not on a family plan, but each one of us will give an account of himself uh, to God. With that thought in mind, that, that needs to make us eternity-thinking people. We're living for eternity. I love that last song, living for Jesus, living for Jesus. As we live for Jesus, we're actually living for eternity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 that we all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things, the things done in the body, uh, whether that be good or, or bad. We recall Jesus saying in John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming, and now is when all that are in the tomb shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, 
but they that have done evil unto a resurrection of condemnation. So we need to live not only in the presence of God, but in view of the judgment uh, that is to come. So very important. We live life in view of things, don't we? It's really a, a now and then situation. A now and then situation. Christmas is coming. Okay. And as Christmas gets closer, our lives begin to change. We live in view of that. Um, there are some really professional shoppers in this world. I am amazed. I am the worst shopper there ever was. I have no ability to do that. But my sister is on the other side of the page for me. She's incredible. She's, inc- she's smart, too. Yesterday, yesterday, guess what time she went shopping? 2.30. Okay, why is that? Everybody's at home from the TV for some reason. Okay. She had the stores to herself. She, she said, she, I was just walking her. She had the best time of her life for the next three hours. She basically had Walmart and mall. It was just clear. It was just clear. We live in view of things, whether it's graduation day, whether it's a wedding day coming up. We live in view of things. And, and God says what we need to live in view of is really eternity. It's a, it's a now and then situation. We live a particular way now because of what's coming then. See, The then has got to have a tremendous impact on the now. See, We are eternal people. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, he says in that context that we don't faint because... Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man can be renewed day by day. He says our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a, a far more exceeding, and notice this, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We're living for that, for eternity. While we look not at things, he says, Paul does in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, we don't look at things which are, which are temporary. We don't, look at, we don't focus on the things that we can see. Things that we can see are temporary. We look at the unseen things because they are eternal. We're living for eternity. We are absolutely eternal people. Getting our spiritual bearings, we've got to remember who we are. Well, we are godly people. That is, full of reverence, respect for the Lord. But also, we are eternal people. We're also what I would simply call word people because we can't help but be word people. We can't help but say it this way. We must say it this way. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. What are we going to be talking about? Well, the word of God. The word of God. And Paul says this all throughout these letters to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.13, he says to hold fast the pattern of sound words. You see that? 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast to the pattern of a sound words. We are word people. We're word people. Uh, he says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Do your very best to show yourself a man approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. Handle the word of truth properly. We are word people. And even going back to 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, Paul says... As we, as we live as servants of God, we are to be nourished in the words of the faith. 
We are word people. And notice what he says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and th- that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, that person is puffed up. That person is puffed up. So he mentions sound words, words of faith. He mentions word, the word of truth, a pattern of sound words. Here he says, preach the word. We are word people. This means, this means that we are constantly defending the truth. Now one way of defending the truth is to hear what the world says and then then counter that with the Word of God. And that's tremendous. One of the best ways of defending the truth is to simply know the truth, live the truth, and teach the truth. I think it was the preacher from several generations back. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he said, um, imagine some men have a lion. They have a lion. They got the lion in a cage. And the reason they got the lion in the cage is because there's some other evil men who are trying to get to that lion to kill that lion. He says, now you can stand there and guard the cage with the lion in the cage. But he says one of the best ways to defend that lion is to let the lion out of the cage. Because the lion is able to defend itself pretty good, all things being equal. The lion is able to defend himself pretty good. But the reason that Spurgeon was making this comment is he was saying we need to let the lion out of the cage. That is, we need to let the truth out of the Bible. We need to get to know the truth, live the truth, and teach the truth. Let the lion out, and that way we're involved, we're involved in defending the truth. There are many things said against God, against His Word, against Christ, against the church, okay? against the things that are precious to God. And the way to defend that is for us to be word people. We are word people. This means we are not going to be distracted by personalities. Anytime someone is distracted by personalities, it means their, their head is not in the Word. You see, We're not looking to make other people just like us in, in our interests, in our experiences, in our habits, in our abilities. We're not trying to clone people to be just exactly alike in regard to personality. We just want everybody to be word people. Word people. And we read there in in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul speaking about unity in verses 10 to 13 and how that, that many had gotten carried away with personalities. Because the preachers they were following, the different ones, they weren't teaching different doctrines. I mean, they, who were they dividing with? They were, they were, some were saying, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Barnabas. Some saying, I'm of Cephas. Well, well, Paul, Barnabas, and Cephas were, were not teaching different doctrines. These people were caught up in personalities, and the reason they were caught up in personalities is because their head was not in the Word. Okay. We won't be distracted by personalities. I'm not, I, I, I love it that people have different personalities, different interests. It helps you to learn about things. They have different backgrounds and experiences, different abilities. Okay, I, all I want to know is this person a word person? You know, that's all we got to know. Are they in the word? Do they want to live by the word? Is that their standard of living? Is this is what 
permeates their thinking and their thoughts and their habits. We are word people. And this means that our children have got to be word children. They've got to be word children. Children, given the chance, they love the Bible. They love the Bible. And we need to make every effort to make sure that they have that opportunity. Every effort. Every effort. If we're thinking about it, probably we're already behind. Parents, grandparents, if you're not in the habit of of sharing the Word of God in a very enriched way on a daily basis, then when is it that you're going to get busy doing that? When when's that going to happen? Because if you're thinking about it, you're probably already behind and there's a lot of catching up to be done. Because our young people are going to be filled with information of all sorts and it's already started. It's already started. God has given us the protection for them. It is the Word of God and we can't get behind. We've got to, we've got to stay in front of the battle. You might say, well... Mine doesn't read very well. Well, probably if they're not reading well yet, they can listen really well. Okay. You'd be amazed that those who can't read well, they can listen very well. They pick up on things listening more than what you would ever imagine. Okay. There is a, in the homeschool world, there's a fellow with a funny name. His name is Andrew... Pudawa, Andrew Pudawa. His emphasis is on writing, <coughs> communication and writing. I think his website is uh, EIW, Excellence in Writing, EIW. We, we've heard him speak in person a couple times. He told this story. Okay, now here is a fellow who is he's really world-renowned in communication. He has a family. His son did not learn to read until he was 11 and 12 years old. He just could not get it. His son could not learn to read until he was 11 or 12 years old. But that didn't mean that his son was uneducated those first 11 years. Okay. Because they just, it started back in the day, you know, cassette tapes. You remember those cassette? You remember those? cassette tapes? Okay, and then it advanced to CDs. Okay, now you can do it online with a click of a button. There's all sorts of of readings and lessons that can be listened to, and the the young fellow never got behind in his studies. He had an incredible ability to to listen and key in and be able to remember what he heard. Okay. I'm just simply saying that to to make every effort to make sure our children are word uh, children. We're godly people, Paul reminds us. He reminds us that we are eternity thinking people. and He reminds us that we are to be word people. But we're also to be courageous people. We're getting our spiritual bearings. Okay? Where am I at in relation to what's going on around me? Am I Courageous. If there's anything that Paul's trying to do with Timothy here, he's trying to get Timothy to understand it is a hostile world out there. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 bears this out. Okay? The people that you'll be speaking to, they're going to have their own desires. In fact, 
they're going to have itching ears. And after a while, Timothy, they're going to look it right at you and say, we need some other teachers. Teachers after our own lust. Teachers that will tell us what we want to hear. And then, Timothy, they will begin to turn their ears away from the truth and turn them into myths and unto fables. Okay. And he's saying, Timothy, it's a hostile world. This is not totally unlike way back in Isaiah 6. You remember Isaiah said, Isaiah 6 verse 8, Lord, here am I, send me. But if you keep reading right after that, verses 9 and 10 and 11 of Isaiah 6, God tells the prophet, look, you're going unto a people and they're going to have heavy ears and their hearts are going to be dull and their eyes are going to be closed. But you just go right ahead. Other than that, it's a great world. Okay. Other than that, it's just a fantastic world. It's, it's a hostile world. It's always been a hostile world for the truth. And it will always be that way. Jesus told his disciples in John, it's not John, it's Luke, Luke 10 and verse 16. He said, Behold, I'm sending you forth as, as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be harmless as doves and wise as serpents. But I'm sending you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. And Jesus knew this personally, of course. He was crucified. But even, even before that, there's, there's an example in Luke chapter 4. In Jesus, verse 16 or so, He comes into His own hometown of Nazareth, goes into the synagogue and reads from Isaiah. He makes application of that passage to Himself just as He should. And the people got aggravated at Him. They took Him to the edge of a cliff. They were going to throw Him off the cliff. And somehow Jesus escaped. It's a hostile world toward the truth. Timothy should know that because Paul is writing from death row. Here in 2 Timothy 4, Paul is, is about to be executed himself. Now notice, Paul says the time is coming. Okay. He's, Paul's not saying it that way in order for Timothy to think, well, it's just going to be a one-time event of history, one-time history event. No, this is said in such a way for Timothy to know that any time you preach the truth, there's going to be hostility against it. Notice it in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. Chapter 3, 14, he says, Evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the world, Timothy. That's the world. It's a recycling of evil. It's a recycling of hostile attitudes uh, toward the truth. Now, the temptation to Timothy would be this. And we have confidence in Tim Timothy that he wouldn't do this, but the temptation to Timothy and anybody else would be this. Timothy would say, well, if they're wanting teachers to come in and tell them what they want to hear, then why don't I just do that? You don't have to oh, go get another teacher. Timothy might in his mind, the devil certainly would want him to think this way, why don't I just do that? Why don't I just give them what they, what they want to hear? Or perhaps, this is probably more in line of what we have today, Perhaps Timothy would think to himself, I'm smarter than the average bear. I can give them what they want to hear, plus embed some truth in the midst of that. This is where we're at today, folks. Okay. People have no conviction toward the truth. Okay. 
but they understand the truth is somewhat valuable. But they have a tremendous desire to be popular. So they say, well, I'm going to give them a a little bit, maybe even a little bit more than a little bit of what they want to hear. And I'm going to try to mesh some truth in there with that. And all will be happy. Convenient Christianity. Now, if Timothy was to go this route, he'd have to do one of two things. He'd have to jazz it up a little bit or tone it down. That's the way it goes. When, a, when someone gets um, unsatisfied with the truth, the temptation is to jazz it up. Jazz it up. This is what Paul was dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with the Corinthians. They were so hung up on wisdom and the ability of oratory, the ability to make a speech and make it sound good, capture people's attentions. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he didn't come among them with, with excellent speech, No. In fact, he didn't come in with flattery words. He intentionally stayed away from that kind of of thought, that kind of habit. He says, when I came among you, I just came preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if your ears are not dull, that will be fine for you. Or there's the temptation to tone it down. Tone it down. Now there's a reference back I have marked in my Bible Isaiah 30, verses 10 and 11. That will be a good commentary on the idea of toning it down. Isaiah 30. Verse 10. The people say to the seers, do not see. They say to the prophets, do not prophesy unto us what is right, but rather speak to us smooth things. Notice that, smooth things. See, tone it down, Isaiah. Tone it down. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us not hear any more about this Holy One of Israel. Okay. Give us illusions. People would rather live in a in a false world than to face the truth. There's an old song. Tell me lies, tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. That's what they're saying. Give us some smooth things. Give us some things that make us comfortable. Okay. Prophesy unto us things that are not real. And so we need to be courageous people. Courageous people. And then this, we've got to be patient people. You see it here in verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4. Paul says, preach the word. Be urgent, be ready, in season, out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Okay. When we faithfully live and teach the word of God, then the word itself will reprove us. That is, the word itself will make us aware of our wrongdoing. Okay. But then also the Word itself will rebuke us. The Word will show us that in our wrongdoing we are condemned by God. But then with the Word, we are to encourage people to submit to God and to follow Him. We are to persuade people, exhort people. So preach the Word, reprove, reprove rebuke, exhort 
But then he says this, with all patience, with all patience. We're not making it up. He says, with all patience. Would it have been better? Brother Paul, what do you think? Do you kind of wish he had said, with a little patience? No. Would it... With 40% patience? Paul, did you really say that? That we need to be sharing the truth and do it with all patience, all long-suffering? In, the, in, the, in our heart of hearts, don't we wish he had said, well, not with all patience, maybe with 50% patience or 25% patience. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Why are you continuing to try with this person? Why are you continuing to try to meet with this person? Why are you still going to see this person? Okay. They seem to have no interest in the truth. Well, Paul says, all patience. All patience. Patience is important to remember. We have so many who want to make one jump. One jump. Not all young people, but some young people, as they, they start out in life, they get married, they want to have what their parents have right then. They look around, mom and dad's got this house, mom and dad's got these, got these cars, mom and dad's, they, you know, they've got this time off, they get, they get to go on vacation. So right here at age 21, 22, 23, I should have all that too. And what they never stop to think of is that mom and dad used to live in a basement. Okay. Or for us, it was half of a house near Crampton Bowl in Montgomery. Okay. With roaches the size of a bicycle tire. Okay. But young folks, some not all, but some look and say, well, I want all that. And parents go to work to make sure they have all that. Big mistake. But they think all that comes in one jump. Okay. One leap and it's here. That's especially dangerous when it comes to Christianity. Christianity is not a one leap situation. It's not a one jump. It's not, and and you, you, you hear, you listen to people and they think, well, one key decision or one key person or one this or one that and we're in good shape. But it's not that way. Okay. There's a process and sometimes it's an enduring process. It takes a lot of patience. We are patient people. We'll stop right there. That's just an example of what not only Paul in this passage, but Paul in other passages, Jesus, Peter, James, John, in their passages, many passages would help us get our spiritual bearings. But where am I at? What is going on around me? What is ahead of me? And what are the tasks before me? The Lord can help us to get our spiritual bearings. We can assist anyone this day, this morning, this hour, in becoming a Christian, a true Christian, by repenting, repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ. We'd be glad, be glad more than glad, uh, to assist, to study, to help, to pray. Please come right now. Let's stand together as we sing.